0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Last week, MSP claimed the Skywalkers were rising. This week, we want to give you some hope as MSP's Matt Armitage dives uh, deep dives into the science and tech advances that he hopes will define the next 10 years as the flaming 20s. Flaming 20s, Matt, uh, isn't a reference to the Australia bushfires, is it?
0: Hey, Rich. No, um, I would never be as crass as that. Um, No, I mean it in the terms of, you know, the popular fire emoji sense. Uh, This, I hope, is going to be the decade where our ingenuity and our awareness, you know, set the decade on fire. Because when we look back, you know, the last decade was pretty poor. Um, In the last episode of MSP, we ran through some of the many reasons that this might be the case. Uh, The overreach of Silicon Valley and technology firms in general the rise of dark money and fake news on our social media accounts and, of course, this kind of growing and general mistrust of technology and science and anything linked to them
1: none of which indicates why you'd be optimistic for the future.
0: Well, last week, uh, we talked a lot about realisation. So the noughties was a decade of hope, you know, where we trusted that technology would liberate us, that it would enrich us, maybe materially, uh, possibly even spiritually.
1: Rather than send us into dark holes of despair and dissatisfaction. Well,
0: Exactly. You know, I'm not going to go over the the same ground. You can listen to last week's show if you need a dose of despair and uh, devilry. But, you know, I ended it with some of the things that I think will be bright spots in the next 10 or even 20 years. Uh, we mentioned uh, CRISPR, um, gene and biotechnology, the ongoing revolution in food, uh, the growing importance of things like blockchain technology. Most importantly, we talked about that growing awareness that people mm. seem to have, uh, especially that spirit of activism that the younger generations seem to have. And I ended the week saying, uh, ended last week's show rather by saying that you know the Skywalker's are rising, and I really do believe that.
1: Where do we start then uh, with biotech? Well, we'll get there in a minute. Um, it's
0: always fun to uh, look back at predictions of the future from a few years ago Um, you know this is the the 2020s now you and I were kids at roughly the same time Mm -hmm. obviously I got there a little bit before you
1: um,
0: to say the least but what did you imagine that the 2020s would look like what was in your mind flying
1: cars obviously was the first thing that comes to mind
0: yeah. Anything else? What else? Um, I mean,
1: you know, if, mega cities. Okay. You know, I'd I read a oh, lot like
0: of Judge Dredd. Judge, in Judge Dredd kind of yeah, 2008.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of it kind of came from that era. Yeah.
0: Okay. I, I mean, similar for me as well. You know, I thought we'd have all of the good things in yeah. the Back to the Future movies. You know, the hover cars and the skateboards. Uh, yes, yes. I didn't necessarily think we'd have flying cars, but I did think that helicopters would be everywhere. We'd all have those personal like right. gyrocopters or whatever, and I imagined that everything would be. Gleaming and white and clean like, you know, all those 1960s yeah. sci-fi movies. Uh, and, of course, you know, that people everywhere would be healthy and wealthy and well-educated.
1: You really were a hippie, weren't you?
0: Look, I just believed the best of people, um, and I believed in our capacity to learn.
1: Yeah, and how did that work out?
0: Well, look, I'm still optimistic. I might (laughs) trust people a little bit less. I'm a bit less reliant on them, um, and I accept that as a species, our ability to remember stuff puts us closer to, I don't know, goldfish than elephants. But, yeah, I mean, go back to those predictions. Um, When you go back too far, if you go back to, like, when we were kids, Mm. it all looks wacky like we've just described. Mm. So I thought we could look at a World Economic Forum report from uh, the mid-2010s.
1: Three words guaranteed to wreck a party. World Economic Forum.
0: Uh, Sorry, but I thought that the clown's guide to the future would be slightly less relevant for for today. Um, Among the predictions from the uh, WEF's tech pioneers of 2015 were uh, the use of AI to personalize our our devices, which I guess is true in the shape of Siri and Alexa, although the AI involved is still pretty much dumb. Mm. Another area they uh, mentioned was electricity, um, building global grids for the 21st century. Unfortunately, There hasn't been a lot of progress there. We're still pretty much stuck with the model of a 19th century power grid. Um, Renewables, yes, they are extending power to parts of the less developed world, but it's very slow and it seems to be happening in a piecemeal fashion.
1: And what about those huge solar farms that were mooted for places like Sahara and Africa?
0: Well, it's not even clear that the uh, power generated will benefit those local communities substantially. Once again, it could be a cash crop um, and much of the power will be sold on. Uh, You know, the developed world buying a scarce resource from countries who actually have an even greater need for it. Mm. Um, And then there comes to the scarcity itself. Uh, And I'll admit to a lot of disappointment here. You know, there are incredible technologies that um, maybe they won't end scarcity, but certainly they can nip at its heels. Things like 3D printing, additive manufacture, which I still can't say after 10 years, Um, You know, it's amazing but not amazing enough. You know, where's the 3D print shop on the street corner? You know, why are we buying from Amazon when we could be printing at the local neighbourhood bodega?
1: It doesn't sound too far off beam.
0: Well, by and large, the predictions are not too bad. You know, most people were off in terms of scale rather than substance. You know, there is a sense of optimism from those predictions of 2014, 2015. But maybe that shows how off-track thinks things have gone in the last five years. Uh, one commentator said we would be less occupied with fancy phones and more with fulfilment in our lives. Uh, instead, you know, we're experiencing scarcity, rising prices, uh, less fulfilment and more fear, as well as fancier phones.
1: I mean, let me just say, though, I mean, so far this is a strange way to introduce an optimistic episode. All
0: right, so I'll get to the bright spots. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, One bright spot, obviously, is the moon. Mm. You look up there, it's very bright. Um, Obviously, we're boldly going where lots of people have gone before. Everyone seems to be in a race to get back to the moon. Uh, It looks certain that within the next five years, we'll have the first female astronaut on the moon. It's just a question to see whether it's going to be a Chinese astronaut uh, or a US astronaut. And, of course, India is also planning its own moon landings.
1: Do you think we'll be staying this
0: time? Well, it seems to be the intention um, for certainly on the part of China and the US to, to establish more permanent bases. Um, they've even talked about putting bases on the dark side and using them for telescopes, even for launching missions to places like Mars, because mm. there's less energy to launch these, uh, these missions needed from there it's less certain though whether it will be feasible not necessarily from the resupply point of view uh, especially if we discover quantities of ice which we can use for water but actually down to the geological stability of the moon uh, massive earthquakes are common and uh, these prolonged shakes can last for hours and hours with aftershocks going on for weeks and weeks so the question is Whether we can actually build structures that Mm. will withstand these enormous stresses. Weirdly, it seems that building a Station like the International Space Station, is actually much easier to plan and build than having physical structures on the moon.
1: And what else, uh, much else be going off in space?
0: Well, space is going to be one giant dance party, I think, with that (laughs) Tesla Roadster playing space oddity on repeat for infinity. You know, as much as there's concern over the number of satellites being spun into orbit around us and cluttering up the heavens, we look set to make enormous leaps in knowledge through our exploration of space. Uh, at the moment, we can only see and detect 5% of the universe. Uh, the rest of the universe is that elusive dark energy that we suppose has to be there, but we have no way of proving or testing.
1: Oh, are we going to find it?
0: Not necessarily within the next decade, but the further we're able to see with telescope the further spacecrafts and probes can travel, the more understanding we gather and the closer we come to unlocking that puzzle. Uh, we'll be sending missions to actually bring back samples from Mars. Uh, the Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer, which is fantastically called JUICE, um, it would have been even better if they called it Juicy Moon, but you know <laughs> that's going to be sent to search out life on three of Jupiter's moons uh, where oceans have been identified, And telescopes will be looking for more exoplanets. Now, we've identified about 4,000 exoplanets already, and there are probably hundreds Mm. of thousands more, if not even more than that. And with these more powerful devices, we can start to look for the biochemical signatures that could suggest that the planets can support life. So by 2030, we may have a much better idea of whether we're alone in the universe or not.
1: After the break, we stick closer to home as we look into MSP's technology and science predictions for the decade to come. you listen to MSP here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: EFM 89.9, the business station. This is MSP with Matt Armitage, of course, from Culture Pop. My name is Rich Bradbury. Before the break, uh, we were looking towards the stars with a sense of hope. But as we know, most people will never get the chance to leave the planet. So, what can they look forward to in the next few years?
0: Well, I promised you biotechnology. So, this one actually combines biotechnology and artificial intelligence. So, it seems that Big Pharma is increasingly collaborating with and buying over AI-based companies. Uh, Over the last 10 years, advances in gene technology have generated so much information that it's been impossible to analyse it. You need some form of machine learning just to process what we're discovering. Uh, And of course, machines are able to find patterns and significances that don't actually occur to human beings. So Richard, uh, you went on the the show a few weeks ago where we talked about an AI that could look at ECG results and it could predict from those results whether that person would be alive in 12 months time. It was My looking way. at historical data mm. and its prediction rate was incredibly accurate. But the thing is, we don't know why. We have no way of decoding what the AI found in those results, and it has no way of communicating it to us. Uh, so so the machines are just looking at patterns that we simply can't comprehend.
1: Uh, and this same thing is happening with medicine?
0: Well, this is from... Uh, a story in Wired. So GSK has partnered with a British company called excientia uh, They're building an AI that can design new molecules, essentially the building mm. blocks of drugs, based on this pharmacological data. These networks can sweep through vast swathes of the genetic data that things like the Human Genome Project are discovering, and they can connect the dots in a sea of information that a human being would struggle even to figure out where to start start processing. And there have already been early breakthroughs. Um, there's been a new treatment for the uh, chronic lung disease, uh, COPD, and we can expect to see many more of these discoveries over the next
1: few years. Could they be used to short-circuit the trials uh, procedures as well?
0: Well, certainly they can map potential interactions of drugs and molecules in the human body. And uh, simulate or at least uh, guess what the reaction is going to be inside the human body. Uh, Merck is working with a company called Atomwise. Its technology can simulate more than 10 million compounds per day. Now, that might not make medicines faster to bring to market, but it does limit the time's scientists spend mm. you know researching those dead ends and it can potentially open up more fruitful paths for them to follow so we could see the hit rate in drug development um strikingly improve over the next decade and hopefully of course we'll see that translate into lower overall drug costs because we're not paying for the research and development of those dead ends mm. but you know sometimes i have my doubts that uh, that's what we're going to see um So far, we have AI developed treatments for uh, things like Parkinson's and pancreatic cancer already in the works. Uh, So the importance of uh, AI to medicine is only going to increase as we move forward.
1: And what about stuff like uh, quantum computing? Will that play a role in all of this as well?
0: Well, quantum computing is one of those weird technologies that hasn't found its true purpose yet. It really is a case of if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Uh, in no uh, most instances, we don't know whether quantum computing will outperform classical computing in any kind of significant fashion. Uh, we do expect it to help us make huge leaps in cryptology, uh, medicine, quite a lot of other areas of industry, as we discussed. But a lot of the smart money seems to see it as some kind of future-proofing. Mm. Uh, quantum computing will be a critical part of our future, but... We don't actually know how as yet. Uh, If you actually teamed up AI and quantum computing, what they could do together is literally anyone's guess because you've got an unknowable being making calculations in an unseeable dimension, creating outcomes that we couldn't possibly predict.
1: You spent a while writing that sentence, didn't you? I did, yes. Yeah, you're supposed to be giving us good news, not scaring us, man.
0: Uh, Well, there's got to be some fun in it for me. Uh, You know, it seems pretty certain that we'll see AI surpass the Turing test benchmark very, very soon, um, that uh, these machines will become indistinguishable from a person in uh, some circumstances. In fact, I think we touched on that a little bit in uh, BizBytes mm-hmm. on uh, on Wednesday morning when we, we were did. talking about AI-generated uh, photos. Uh, and that takes us back to the more philosophical parts of the show. You know, who is responsible for the machine's decisions? Does an AI car decide that it's better to risk your life or that of another car's passenger's? in avoiding a collision. Mm. What legal status does that machine have? Is it simply a machine there for us to use? Is it like a pet with some limited legal protections? Or will we start granting these machines human equivalent rights? You know, at the moment, if someone writes a bad algorithm, we can pursue that person or that company for negligence. But what happens further down the line when a faulty AI is writing its own flawed algorithms, and on and on and on down that change. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting the next 10 years.
1: And and not not too cheery.
0: You say potatoes, I say potatoes. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, let's go to something that's a bit more straightforward, like 5G. Um, So we'll start seeing the first impacts of these high-speed mobile data networks in 2020, Uh, It's going to take a few more years before we see the true impacts. But at a base level, there will no longer be any real difference between data speeds at home and on the move.
1: So 4K movies on your phone on the daily commute.
0: If you're one of the people lucky enough to still have a job by (laughs) 2029, yes. But no, we will see uh, the the advent of truly mobile business. Uh, Applications that are currently too data heavy to use on the go will become as easy as playing snake on a nokia <laughs> but you know the biggest initial change i think will likely be in the internet of things uh, sensors will be able to stream much richer much more data it becomes feasible to have high resolution cameras and sensors pretty much everywhere
1: uh, you're thinking of uh, surveillance capitalism
0: no i'm i'm being optimistic i'm thinking more of things like you know traffic cameras or even counting salmon leaping upstream Uh, measuring and watching uh, the melt on glaciers. I'm thinking of monitoring rather than surveillance. You say
1: potato, I say potato. uh, Yeah,
0: exactly. And the most exciting cases will be the ones that we haven't even imagined yet. Mm. Uh, The possibilities that streaming will open up like uh, AI-equipped chips. We might even see super lightweight devices with almost no need for onboard storage because calling up data from the cloud will be as quick as calling it up from a
1: memory card. Will we finally cross that brain-machine divide, do you think?
0: Well, I think there was a recent essay by Steven Pinker in the Financial Times that essentially suggests that the 2020s aren't going to be some kind of brain hacking Rubicon. But at a more modest level, by which I mean still pretty freaking incredible, we're going to see a lot of advances in this area. So, for example, we talked last week or the week before about uh, chips that are essentially artificial neurons. Mm. Uh, These can replace damaged nerves around the heart and repair the signals that are sent to the brain so that people don't require pacemakers or electronically implanted devices. We could see the same kind of interfaces being used in prosthetic devices uh, or um, exosuits. Uh, So even if you can't repair the damage done to a body someone experiencing paralysis can essentially replace the damaged limb with a machine that's actually controlled by their brain. Mm. Uh, We're seeing those same technologies being used to tackle neurodegeneration and uh, the other side effects of ageing. I'm not going to go into too much detail there because I want to do a show on uh, age technology in the next uh, few weeks.
1: Always a risky one than this. Uh, Shall we head into lunchtime with a question about food?
0: I will try not to get too horrific. Um, Now, I mentioned awareness at the start. You know, we have a generation now that is more aware of how to eat healthily, what the environmental impact of their food is, that's committed to reducing excessive packaging and waste. It's exciting because it's something that's very dynamic and it's very consumer driven. And it's also a bit of a sandbox. Uh, It's an area where people can flex their muscles And see companies respond almost instantly. And that's an attitude that they can carry over into dealing with companies in, you know, other aspects of their lives.
1: But are these essentially developed nation trends?
0: Well, sure. You know, most of the people in the world don't have the luxury of rediscovering the joy of cooking (laughs) because cooking is the only way they get to eat. Uh, what we 're also seeing is that rapidly developing countries like India and China are quite open minded about their protein sources uh, they 're more open to uh, you know these vegetable protein or yeah. meatless or laboratory grown uh, meat alternatives, which are essential if we 're going to limit the environmental which are essential if we 're going to limit the environmental impact of protein production in the next decade. Uh, there simply isn 't enough land to produce. Beef and pork, if everyone in the world is eating at the level of countries like the US. Oh. Also, you know, we're seeing huge changes to how and where food is being produced. Increasingly, we're seeing urban gardening, urban farming bringing fresh food. Oh, I can't say anything today. Increasingly, we're seeing urban gardens and urban farming bringing f- fresh food production back into cities. We're seeing uh, a lot of smarter land and water use Uh, again you know we're going back to that 5g implementation each little potato could have its own sensors and camera and ai caring for its every need and we're finally learning that we have to look to our history we have to look at what crops were traditionally grown in given places rather than shipping in huge quantities of water and chemicals to force something to grow in essentially the wrong place.
1: Okay, let's end on this then. What will the city of 2030 look like?
0: Well, it's not going to look massively uh, different. Um, You know, we have this habit of looking for changes rather than similarities, but... As a species, we've had two arms and two legs and two eyes for a very long time. It's just that now we use the thumbs on those arms to type on a smartphone. (laughs) Uh, In 10 years' time, as long as nothing too cataclysmic happens, the world should look much as it does today because a lot of the technology of today is invisible. It's something that you experience. You experience the changes rather than see them.
1: And if something cataclysmic does actually happen...
0: Well, you may have noticed that I didn't talk about the uh, environment or energy production much this week, uh, mainly because it's not such a good news scenario. Um, But that's something that we'll come back to in another show in the next few weeks. But keeping it on the up, you know, if we can keep some of those darker forces at bay, then we have a lot to look forward to from science and technology over the next 10 years. And I love the fact that the people listening to this show may be helping to shape or even contribute directly to some of those tech and science advances. And that, for me, I think is truly a bright spot in the flaming 20s.
1: You have been listening to MSP here on BFM 89.9.